Well, hello, my name is Ian. I'm one of the leaders at Rotherham Evangelical Church. The last words of famous people and the powerful are often recorded for us. Uh, in fact, you can get books that are whole lists of what they are. Uh, some are some are poignant. Uh, the last thing Arthur Conan Doyle said, apparently, was to uh, to his wife, and he said, "You are wonderful." Uh, some are humorous. Apparently, Groucho Marx, uh, when he died, uh, said that. Uh, this is no way to live. Uh, some are ironic. And my personal favourite, John Sedgwick, who was a general in the Union Army of the United States, said they couldn't hit an elephant from this dist just before being shot by the enemy. We like to read these last words because they tell us Something about the person, perhaps something about what mattered to them, uh, something about their heart, something about their legacy. Well, I have the privilege this week of kicking off a new series for us, and we're looking at, uh, over the next seven weeks, the last words of Jesus as he died on the cross. We're calling this series Crosswords, what Jesus said on the day he died. Uh, some of you may know that the Bible records uh, seven sentences that Jesus said when he was being crucified, when he was dying on the cross. And we're going to look at one each week. Like the like the last words of the rich and famous, uh, we hope and we trust that we're going to find something out about Jesus' nature, something about his heart, something about his legacy, uh, insights into what we call the gospel, this good news of how Jesus has saved those who trust him. But before we jump to those uh, last words, perhaps just a moment about about the crucifixion. Why, why this crucifixion? What's the big deal? Because on, on one level, this crucifixion was like many others. Uh, around the time when Jesus was crucified, some historians think about 3,000 crucifixions had been taking place uh, across the whole Roman Empire. Certainly tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people were were crucified. Sometimes the, the Roman soldiers even ran out of wood for the crosses because of uh, how many were taking place at the same time. So it, it was well known. At the time, the Bible does not give us a lot of detail about how how the crucifixion actually took place because the readers of the Bible at the time knew what it was like. It was an everyday occurrence. It was unremarkable. Uh, they would have seen it many times. They knew exactly what was being done. Perhaps this is why the Bible focuses more on what people said than what was what was actually done. However, there are a number of things that make this crucifixion like no other, unique. One of the Roman soldiers watching the crucifixion of Jesus, who had surely seen many, uh, who had helped with many, uh, we would suspect, when he saw how Jesus uh, behaved on the cross, what he said on the cross, 
his attitude on the cross, he said that he declared that surely Jesus was the Son of God. In this crucifixion, it's the only crucifixion where somebody chose to lay down their life and chose at a particular time to die. The only crucifixion where the victim could have stopped it at any time. The only crucifixion where prophecies from hundreds and even thousands of years ago were being completely fulfilled. The only crucifixion where supernatural events like earthquakes took place. Most significantly, the only crucifixion where the Holy and Eternal One, the only one who's truly been blameless and without sin, was mocked and tortured and killed for our sake, that we might be forgiven and have his righteousness. So so the death of Jesus on one level was natural and mundane and, and quite ordinary at the time. And yet then and for us it was unique, miraculous and supernatural. I want to suggest to you that this was the most important event in history. So it makes sense then that we should think about what Jesus said at this critical time, what he said when he was being crucified. So this week, we're going to look at the first of these these sentences, these short sentences. You'll find it in the first half of Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We're going to think about this short sentence almost word by word. And we're going to notice how this is forgiveness in action. Forgiveness in action. So so the first word that Jesus says, Father. Father, look back at that sentence in Luke chapter 23. This is a prayer. This is a prayer and Jesus has, has told us that we pray to God the Father. And so Jesus is praying to the Father, to the first person of the Trinity. And Jesus's first words on the cross plead with this Father, with whom Jesus has been joined since before creation. Their unity of heart and, and unity of purpose have been clear. As Jesus has taught Uh, throughout his ministry, throughout Israel. And yet because of the sacrifice that he is now making, Jesus commands even more of the Father's generosity at this moment. And although over the last three years Jesus has healed people, he has taught people as he's... uh, taught different crowds as he's moved around, he is now nailed to a cross. He can now physically do none of these things and yet he can pray he can pray for people he can pray for us a good reminder that whatever our circumstances are whatever uh, capabilities uh, we are are struggling with we always have the capacity to pray we always have the capacity to do the important work to pray for others even to ask god to forgive them 
well. The second word then, forgive. Knowing better than any of us the Father's great love, of his awesome power, Jesus could have prayed at this point for rescue. He could have prayed uh, for justice to be done. He could have uh, called down vengeance on those who were killing him and mocking him in this most terrible way. Instead, his first words are to ask for forgiveness. Even as he makes this staggering sacrifice, this sacrifice of his own perfect life for his enemies, for us, he prays for forgiveness. And many, many of you will, will know, will realize that, that forgiveness is the removal of a debt that we owe, and we owe it primarily to God. Uh, that might be because of something we've done or thought, which is, which is bad. Perhaps good things we haven't done. Uh, perhaps we've been selfish, greedy. Perhaps the things we have thought of have been unrepeatable. We owe God for them. We owe God for these things that the Bible calls sin, and the bill is so big that we cannot afford to pay it. And so, when Jesus prays here for forgiveness for all of his future followers, it is because he is willing to pay that price. He is willing to pay that price for the removal of that debt. He's about to do that through paying the price with his precious blood as he dies. Even at this point, even though they are definitely his enemies, even though they are murdering him, even as he prays, Jesus prays for forgiveness. As well as praying for the people in front of him, of course, he's also praying for us, even as we read the Bible today. And so, by praying for forgiveness here, Jesus brings great honour and glory to God. By asking for, for grace and mercy on his persecutors, rather than calling down the justice, rather than pronouncing the condemnation that they and we deserve. He takes this this action, this forgiveness in action to glorify God. When praying for forgiveness, Jesus takes responsibility for resolving the situation. He takes the initiative, he takes this uh, forgiveness in action through his sacrifice, rather than waiting for us, rather than waiting for his mockers and his murderers to take the first step because they won't we won't many of them many of us don't even realize the necessity of seeking forgiveness and so jesus steps up he takes the the initiative he takes the this action he takes responsibility so that we might be forgiven. When he's praying for forgiveness, Jesus is serving his persecutors by taking the consequences of their action to cancel the debt. Forgiveness in action, it means that through his service to others, through his death and his sacrifice, 
Jesus can bring about our forgiveness. And when he's praying for forgiveness, Jesus shows us, demonstrates to us the great love of God for us. The great grace that he pours out on us. Surely anyone who reads this and listens to this is, is encouraged to be reconciled to this loving heavenly Father. And now that Jesus has been resurrected and stands on the right hand of God in heaven, Jesus still pleads for forgiveness for his followers. His actions, this, this forgiveness in action, shows us what God is like. Just how much he loves us. But that word forgive, there's even, there's even more involved here. Because, because Jesus has taken this action for us, then it's clear from, from his teaching, never mind the gratitude that we should have, that uh, we should do the same for those who sin against us. We should be thinking how we can best demonstrate the glory of God through forgiveness and being reconciled, how we can take responsibility for the situation, for our part in the situation, perhaps. Certainly responsibility to try and resolve it, how we can serve them and be reconciled. This is what Jesus showed us. This is what forgiveness looks like. Sounds easy, doesn't it? In fact, forgiving someone can be one of the hardest things that a Christian is asked to do. That is until we remember just how much we have been forgiven. Just what the price of our forgiveness was. That can help give us perspective. That can uh, make the process of forgiving someone both a necessity and much easier. It's helpful for us as well to remember that the the Bible does not say forgive and forget. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean forgetting. Uh, sometimes we might do that. We might be able to forget an offence against us. But sometimes we're supposed to remember it because it will teach us wisdom. Uh, neither does forgiveness mean uh, brushing something under the carpet. There will be consequences of sin. The consequences of, of sin in the lives of perhaps many people through one act, even after forgiveness takes place. One of those consequences might be justice. That does not mean that we shouldn't forgive. Forgiveness also doesn't mean forgiving someone if they are not sorry. If they do not, what the Bible calls repent, which means turn around and head in the other direction, trying to genuinely live life differently. It's clear from the Bible that forgiveness is only possible with repentance. Uh, earlier on in the same book of the Bible, uh, Luke chapter 3, Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Although Jesus has a heart filled with love and compassion for all those involved in, in this most vile and despicable crucifixion, for all of us, the forgiveness he prays for only kicks in when we repent and trust in him. 
that's true for us then. We are called to have a heart of compassion and love towards everyone, including our very worst enemies. But we might not give them the word of forgiveness if they're not expressing sorrow, if they're not repenting. That is such a brief discussion of what forgiveness is. Uh, There's so much more to be said about it. It can still be so hard, even knowing this. Please feel free to ring one of of the pastors here at the church or to uh, drop us an email if you have further questions. Uh, I'd recommend to you Ken Sandy's excellent book, The Peacemaker, which has much more to say on the subject. Back to the words of Jesus here. His first, his, his third word, excuse me, them. Who was he talking about when Jesus was praying for forgiveness? On one level, he was praying for very specific people. He was praying for the Roman soldiers who had tortured and were crucifying him, verse 36. He was praying for the religious leaders who had sought his death and were mocking him so that they could look good in front of the crowd that had gathered, verse 35. He's praying for the crowd themselves, this crowd who'd been shouting, crucify him, crucify him, verse 20. He was even praying for the two criminals being crucified on each side of him, verse 33. Jesus was praying for them all. And the Bible tells us that Jesus' prayers were effective. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41 we read how a short time after this 3,000 people became followers of Jesus after a sermon was preached in Jerusalem. Quite a few of those people would have been at the crowd during this crucifixion. As I mentioned, even as Jesus died, one of the Roman soldiers reconciled the divinity of Jesus. Verse 47. Even before that, one of the criminals who'd been mocking Jesus uh, a few moments before turns to him to be saved, even as he's being crucified at the same time. Verse 42. Perhaps most surprisingly, many of the religious leaders who had instigated this this vile act became Christians soon afterwards. And we can read that in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So when Jesus was praying for forgiveness specifically, those prayers were effective. Because those who put their faith in him and repented were saved. They became early members of the church. However, Jesus also prayed generally for all who would believe in him and repent of their sins in all the centuries to come. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. All of our sins are an offence against our Holy Father in heaven. And so anyone who will follow Jesus needs this forgiveness that he prayed for. So the them is people there at the time. It's us, it's me, it's you. And this can be a problem because of the fourth thing that Jesus said here, they do not know. 
Nobody who Jesus was praying for really knew then, really knows now what it is that we were doing, what they did. Sure, the people there knew that Jesus was being crucified, uh, mocked, that he'd been beaten, humiliated. But they didn't recognise that they were doing this to the Christ, the chosen anointed one of God, the Messiah who'd been they'd been waiting for, this blameless and perfect son of God. Most understood, perhaps, that maybe justice wasn't perfect at this point. But none of them understood the great blasphemy that this was. An offence against the very person of God. The vilest crime that was ever committed. That their mocking of this man was mocking of their God, their creator, who they were crucifying. When we sin, we do not really fully know the impact of what it is that we do, what it is that we think, just how angry it makes our Heavenly Father. And so in the in the religious laws that were set out in the, the Old Testament, in the part of the Bible that the, the Jews at the time would have known, the high priest was required to make a sacrifice for the sins that were committed by the people, which were done in... In ignorance, when they didn't know what they were doing. And so when Jesus makes this final sacrifice on the cross, Jesus takes up that role as high priest, being the sacrifice for all of his future followers, for all the things that they do not know that they are doing, all the impacts they don't know they're having, for the full anger of God against the things that they've done and thought. So likewise, when, when we trust in Jesus and turn from our, our hell-bound race to follow him, we do not know what we have been doing, perhaps. We certainly know that on, on one level, our actions and our thoughts and our motivations have been wrong. Perhaps we've recognised even some of the damage that they have done, but we do not understand them as fully as the the reality of what we are. We do not recognise the death that they have been earning us. And so this definitely includes us. Finally then, what they are doing, what they were doing, was the most unjust, disgusting, God-mocking act that has ever been committed in history. We can look on them through the lens of history and reading this and say, I I would have recognised it. I would have been more just. I wouldn't have been mocking him. I wouldn't have been beating him and torturing him. I wouldn't have killed him. I wouldn't have hammered the nails into his hands and feet or stuck the spear in his side. We're fooling ourselves. I would have been yelling, crucify him. I would have been mocking him as king of the Jews. I would have been hammering in the nails. The old song asks the questions, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the answer is yes. Yes, I was. I was taking my part in the crime. 
my heart is no different to anybody who was there. But when they had done their very worst, when we do our very worst, Jesus prays for forgiveness. He would be justified to condemn us on the spot. He would have been justified to call down on them 10,000 angels. He would have been perfectly within his rights to slay them where they stood. It would be totally fair if he called down eternal curses on us right now. Instead, Jesus shows us his amazing love, his great compassion. He shows us his life-giving grace by before saying anything else, praying for our forgiveness. Perhaps you know the expression, walk the walk and talk the talk. Here we see Jesus putting into action what he preached. Jesus offers us his forgiveness. Knowing our great need for forgiveness, he takes that action to make it possible. And this forgiveness is totally, completely, and finally sufficient. There is nothing that we have thought or done, however terrible, that is not fully and completely dealt with by this forgiveness which is on offer. And when you think about that, we really get a sense of just how big this sacrifice is, just how terrible this crucifixion was. That all of those things were being put to death at that moment. Even more than that, though, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew commands us to love and pray for our enemies. He taught several parables where our obligation to forgive others is clear. And so he does that. And so he expects us to do that. Jesus always practised what he preached. He gave us the command to forgive. He taught us about the nature of forgiveness. He himself forgave his enemies. He gave us the ultimate example of what it means. The ultimate example of forgiveness in action. And also Jesus prayed for us that we might forgive each other he sent his spirit to us after he died to help us to forgive others if even today you repent of your sins then jesus will forgive you he will forgive me what a gracious and loving savior he is amen